0: Crad Network.
1: The more you ignore
0: me. I am the law. And this is the 42nd You're episode of Big that One. Time. My name's Conrad. I love to my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two the Americans patrol their way to the Judge Red magazine. This episode, Recovering the Magazine for July and August 1994. That's volume two, issues 57 to 59. This episode, Dread gets arrested, will get psychic with Karen and Anderson, dispense frontier justice with the missionary man, and fight frontier aliens with Harmony. Oh, man. <laughs> and if you want to read along with us, find the comics we're covering today and Judge Dread the Complete Case Files. Twenty-one, Anderson, the Sci Files, Volume Two, The Missionary Man Collection, and the Judge Dredd Magazine issues two hundred and eighty-eight and three hundred and eighty-four. How are you doing this time, Eli? Oh, I am doing great. Little cold, but can't complain. Oh my gosh, I'm freezing my ass off, Eli. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. I've showed I showed you before we started recording my uh fancy uh fingerless uh mittens that are also fingerless gloves. So I can be as both less cold but more cool, Eli.
1: Yes, so. exactly. Yeah, I signed you three extra cool points for having those.
0: Absolutely. Listen, got my get my yeah, like like you said, my leather jacket sorted and you know, <laughs> maybe some sunglasses or something, and I'll be good mm-hmm. to go. <clears throat> But anyway, speaking of someone else who's not having a cool day, Eli, or whatever, who's feeling the heat, let's get started with story one. Judge Dread. <clears throat> uh, two Dread stories here are sort of, but the, but of the same theme, basically. First story is called Prologue. Scripter about John Wagner, art robot Peter Doherty, and letter robot Tom Frame. And this story starts by giving us a view of the sleek new Mechanismo robots in Mega City 1. They got uh, black body shells and Cobra Commander-style face shields, <laughs> big old guns. They're tougher and stronger than human judges, and not as likely to run amuck like the first models that we had. Meanwhile, and we saw this going on at the end of, our, of the Judge Dredd coverage in the last episode of Space of a Space Spinner 2000, Eli, over in 2000 AD. Um, a bunch of top judges are going to confront Chief Magruder, and we see her here on the throne of justice, flanked by a pair of the new robot judges, with her aide Castillo um, standing standing behind her. And Castillo, Castillo—I don't know—is like this lady judge. that's kind of got this like curly bouffant hairdo, mm-hmm. and she's she was like we we learned in 2000 AD that she's like a pretty freshly made judge like she just um graduated from the academy but like when she was on in like a crisis situation on the street she froze and so now rather than have her be on the street where she could be potentially dangerous but instead of firing her they just you know basically promoted her to be magruder's aide because no one really wants to deal with with magruder directly um the crew that's confronting magruder here is um the head of side division judge Schenker head of the SJS, that's like the uh, internal affairs of the justice system, uh, Judge Niles, three senior street judges, including Hershey, and Dredd himself, of course. (laughs) Magruder asks where Judge Anderson is in this gang and is reminded that, of course, Judge Anderson's away without leave, as we'll see later in the episode. Anyway, to business. These judges want Magruder to reappoint the Council of Five, which was the governing body that ruled alongside the chief of mega city one until the necropolis event, which killed all the council of five members. And it sort of stayed been, it it has been reconstituted after Magruder came to power in the course of um, Magruder sees, sees this as a scheme. She basically says that the only reason that they want to get this council together is because the Council of Five is the only body that is legally able to remove the chief judge, to impeach the chief judge, basically. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that, you know, like I said, that this is the aim of these of this group of judges. And they're not wrong, honestly. Everybody's pretty down on Magruder these days. She's going crazy. <laughs> right. uh, Hershey says that bringing back the mechanismos uh, proves that Magruder's unfit. And even uh, Dredd says she has to go. Magruder then starts throwing around accusations. She says that Hershey or maybe even Dredd want to replace her as chief. But Dredd won't be deterred by this an obvious attempt at distraction. And he wants her out. But instead, Magruder, who's planned ahead for this, apparently, brings in a straightjacketed Judge Stitch, who recounts the events of issue 43, as you'll recall, Eli. That, that Like basically the end of the last Mechanismo story when Dredd right. destroyed the Mark II and said the Mark I did it, basically putting a, a damper on the robo-judge scheme, essentially. Right,
1: and really messing with that guy's mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, like he overawed him into insanity, but now he's sort of pushed him back from the brink or something like that. When asked if all this is true, Dredd admits it, and because of this, Magruder demands his badge and gun, and Dredd agrees! <laughs> With her point proven, Dredd is put in handcuffs and held and taken away by the robots. As Magruder says, she'll take Dredd to Titan personally after a stop at the colony on the planet Hestia. The final threat to Hershey, she dismisses the judges and Dredd's in trouble. But I love the, uh, just, as we've talked about extensively, that trope of, uh, turning in the badge and gun, you know. Right. Very, uh classic cop on the edge stuff, you, you know? Right.
1: And that's the only time judge dread ever needs to go on the edge is when they're like, we're getting robots. He's like, I'm out of here, but you won't, this won't be the last of me. You'll see. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. He's not, he's down, but not out for sure. Right.
1: So excited to see how, uh, he'll kill several dozen robots this time.
0: We'll figure it out for sure.
1: So we start our
0: <laughs> second dread story, the 10th planet. And along with, um, Along with prologue, this story is also very much a prelude to the um, the Wilderland story, which we'll be coming to very soon. Um, like with, um, but although I think it's funny that we're getting very explicit prologues here in the magazine, whereas in 2000 AD, Dread's just sort of having regular adventures on the street, and there's no real notice that he's been arrested or things are going bad or anything like that, which I think is kind of funny. But so this story is called Tenth Planet, script about John Wagner, art about Carlos Sisker, letter about Tom Frame. Another, another news report starts this story as we see an arrested dread perp walked to the Justice 4 spaceship and more of the new mechanisms uh, dispensing justice around the city. The 4 takes off as we read from Judge Castillo's journal. She's excited to see the Tenth Planet and we learn. That it was discovered by the Hubble 2 space telescope in the distant future of 2009. You know, way, way 15 years, 15 years in the press from when this came out in 94, of course, but increasingly in our own rearview mirror. In, In this case, not just that, you know, obviously no 10th planet was discovered in 2009, but indeed, In the time between 1994 and now we've actually gone down planets.
1: Yes. Who could have seen?
0: Yeah, now we've only got eight, so Hestia would actually have been the ninth. But Hestia has an an eccentric orbit, like perpendicular to the rest of the planets in the solar system, and so only seems to come nearby periodically and has been linked to or its passing has been linked to stuff like the death of the dinosaurs and the fall of Atlantis, things like that. But it's also a planet that's got atmosphere and water as well as abundant life, and since 2051, human colonists. Aboard the Justice 4, Castillo leads Dredd past a throng of uh, like megacity citizens who mob him. Castillo can't really do anything about them, but dread just makes them all back away just by shouting at him. Basically, you know, he's in chains, but he's still got like the power of judge dread, you know, um, we, uh, oh, blah, 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 blah. yeah. In her journal, Castillo is both scared and impressed by dread. She's like, don't get a crush on judge dread. You weirdo. <laughs> 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 um, but, um, sorry. Yeah. Um, and in the end, she uh, she takes him to Magruder's cabin there. The chief judge has a robo judge named Roosevelt uh, serve tea. She says she's given them names instead of numbers to be more like for public relations services, basically. And she lays out her offer. She doesn't want to send dread to Titan. And as she says this, she also shows that she's got this like party trick where she can you know throw a biscuit into the air and call it a bad guy, and one of the robot judges will shoot it with like a finger laser, basically. Like she's, you know, she can take guys down with them. But she says that the mechanismo project was expensive and she hopes to sell them to the judges in other megacities. She questions Dred's ethics about the robots, but he stands firm and says he'll never accept robot judges or now Magruder as chief judge. And and she says that, um, until she's out, you know she she had been thinking of pardoning him, but for but now until she's uh, no longer chief judge, he'll never wear a badge again. And I'll mention that Dredd looks real naked without the badge on his chest and just sort of like <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, weirdly they've let him keep like the shoulder eagle and stuff like right. that. Yeah, I'm just thinking of yeah. It, it. Yeah, in like the Stallone dread movie, he also gets you know defrock but they pull the shoulder pads off too i'm just saying
1: right yeah although those are the coolest part you gotta yeah you gotta take those
0: oh i guess guess they would take the
1: helmet yeah that's
0: that's what i was about to say actually presumably they're just letting them keep the rest of it so they don't have to explain why they take the shoulder pads but not the helmet (laughs) you
1: know right
0: okay fair I guess it's sort of like better not, better to not open the door you know they took the badge but otherwise (laughs) you can keep the rest of it um Frustrated, Magruder orders dread taken away, and in her journal, Castillo um, does mostly agree with what he said. You know, for the record, <laughs> the Justice Four lands on Hestia, where Magruder meets the leaders of the colony and notes that they all have these like red, red or pink irises in their eyes. Anyway, can I interest you in some robo judges? <laughs> so Castillo writes about the uh, about how the very planet of Hestia feels unwelcoming as we see the hard work the locals have had to do to colonize the planet, including the uh, massive amounts of pollution that it requires, of course. Humans, you know? Right. Suddenly, there's a firestorm on the horizon. The vehicle they're in has to drive away fast as lightning arcs to the ground, causing eruptions of liquid fire to come out of the earth. An alien pack beast is caught in the flames, oh. and a man runs out to get some precious cargo from its back but instead gets caught in the fire and instantly burns away in front of everybody else. Soon the fire seeps back into the soil and Castillo notes that the pack beasts were unharmed. And it seems indeed most native species in Hestia are immune to all these flames plants too, you know, just FYI stupid humans. Yeah. Not, not prepared for this stuff. Um, the colony is barely holding on. We learned because just because of these dangers, it's tough out there on, on, uh, alien worlds at a big banquet we learned that most of the planets un- is unexplored like they had survey craft but they broke down and weren't able to fix them we also learned that there's a mysterious like humanoid civilized race um here the no men possible ref uh remnants of an ancient alien civilization or something but they just ignore humans it seems He'll be visiting a gnomon temple tomorrow as Castillo notices a servant at the dinner who's a fourth generation Hestian seemingly b- by being born there better adapted to living on the planet but also not interested in being part of daily life. she has got like sort of red eyes and red hair and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of discrepancy where the narration says that she's got the darkest red, like blood red eyes, but they're clearly mm. pink in the coloration. Right. But, mm. you know, right. These, these is things for shirt. Yeah. You know, that's how it goes sometimes.
1: I mean, maybe it's relative, you know, like, wow, that's <laughs> so red for hair. You know? I mean,
0: yeah. I used to go sort of, you know, you don't get those fi- the final script sometimes maybe, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. You know, presumably this is all hand colored at this point, as I understand it yeah. as well. As, yeah, it looks as well. like it. Harder to make those changes on the fly. Um, this girl, Phoenix, takes Castillo to see the body of a dead nomad. The settlers killed him soon after they landed, as humans do again, and believe the colony was cursed because of it. And it's he's like a big purple dude with like a you know lot of lot lot, lot lot of bulbous stuff on the on his head and shit and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, remind me a lot of Thanos from a. Uh,
0: got a uh, yeah, got a got a Thanos feel from uh, Marvel yeah, uh, movies. Yeah,
1: also an Easter Island
0: head like mm.
1: he, he gives that yeah. vibe
0: too on his face structure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which you know, not to get too far into, if it but could be part of this uh, the mm, ancient yeah. ancient alien civilization stuff that we've been, yes. you know seeing a bit of in the course of our uh, magazine adventures, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, it seems Phoenix can read minds a little bit, and that the No Men can speak without words to all animals. They're psychic bros as well. Magruder meanwhile is showing off the killing power of the robo judges, but the Hestians are mostly shocked by all this. They don't really have a lot of crime. What with just desperately trying to survive this inhospitable uh, wasteland and stuff like that, <laughs> Magruder tries to pitch them as like um, also being good for like scouting duties and stuff. But they seem skeptical. Magruder drinks too much and has to be, has to be carried to bed by one of the robots. and Castillo is embarrassed for herself and the city. The next day, it seems Magruder's asked Dread to accompany them on this trip to the temple and Castillo goes to get him and he chews her out for being too respectful when she like puts the cuffs on him. She's like, can I have your hands, please, sir? He's like, don't call me, sir. Well, I'm a prisoner. You know, be tough. <laughs> they head out, apparently loaded for bear as the trip is likely to be dangerous. Next time, Stampede. Is
1: it uh, loaded for bear? Um- like that's just like we're ready to kill a bear if a bear shows up is that like i I think it might be okay i'll take it if anyone asks i'll tell them that's why that's what it means
0: yeah i don't i i admit i i don't actually know yeah (laughs) i think that might be it (laughs) I've, i've nice i i just know the term as just being yeah as having the equipment to be ready for anything
1: Right. It's um I apparently have this ability. If you say a saying at me, I can decode it having no context for what where its origin or where it came from. And I have like a eighty to ninety percent accuracy rate on like just no, I figured it out. This is what it means. Yeah.
0: I think it it's might fun. mean it might be a specific reference to like if you're have one of those like you know those like uh like a pre-bullet like gun where you have to like put the powder into the Mm -hmm. like into the barrel of the gun and stuff yeah like Mm. look like then it's it's like loaded as in like how much powder you have in your gun so like Mm. this one's powerful enough that it would take down a bear Mm. versus like you would use much less for say like a squirrel or a deer or something like that i guess yeah
1: tracks uh, all of it makes perfect sense,
0: hey, I appreciate you keeping me honest on my uh on my frontier terminology hey, like hey,
1: you know hey good good on you for just being like, oh, I don't know, you know that's that's the trick you know you ask if you would ask me ten years ago, I just make shit up, but now now that I'm older and wiser, I just confess that oh no, I don't know what that,
0: yeah, uh see the new move for me is just to stall saying that i vaguely don't know while i subtly mm. i subtly check in with my research with, with, with my research <laughs> assistant google to make sure that i've got uh, that i i can find a reasonable you know
1: nice i like it i i, I gotta evolve i gotta get on that it's a, uh,
0: you know but this is the yeah this but, is the future we have you know
1: but yeah but, but yeah very interesting story um I love new alien races that have mysterious origins and abilities. Yeah. No way that's going to go wrong. I like a cocky guy who just keeps having his death machine shoot cigarettes that he keeps flipping up in the sky. Hey, shoot Shoot that one. Show them all how cool you are. I'm like, all right, that's definitely yeah, not going to yeah. work out.
0: No, she's pretty They're cool, Magruder, you know, doing her whole thing. Right.
1: right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, lining up all the tropes. I'm excited to see how they spin them
0: absolutely yeah we're very much we're we're definitely spent like i'll spoil you a little bit to let you know that this big epic that we're building this big like multi-issue you know crossover event that we're building up to is going to be taking place in the the wild lands of hestia so we're definitely spending some time here just to establish this new setting and kind of set up some rules and parameters for things that kind of stuff sounds fun yeah Speaking of weird aliens, let's go to story two, Karen. Call the manager on it. Script robot John Freeman, art robot Adrian Salmon, learning robot Gordon Robson. Karen, she's a side judge. She's got a big, big old of hair. She's got like, I <laughs> kind of think of her as being, uh, what you call it, um, executor. From- yeah, garnered from Steven Universe and or that one palm tree Pokemon. Like- oh, Pokemon. yes
1: yeah definitely
0: <laughs> anyway last time we saw some kind of monster stealing people's bodies and stuff like that like they weren't they weren't stealing folks skin they were stealing everything but the skin this story is called skinner because of it in bed karen dreams of flames and burning and we see a block war between the nelson and burt and murdoch blocks as one Nelsoner shoots another for being friends with their previously allied enemies, I should say that uh, Nelson and Murdoch, those names, is the name of the uh, of the law firm from the uh, the Daredevil comics. Like mm-hmm. in right. in Daredevil, you know, Daredevil's re- uh, shoot name is Matt Murdoch and his partner's Foggy Nelson, and their law firm. Um, Judges arrive and deploy riot phone, but one rioter seems very smug when a, drug, when a judge tried to, to cuff him, and we hear a scream as Karen wakes up sweating. She calls into control and learns that, indeed, this block war is already happening. She rides to the scene where uh, Judge Cabell explains that he's got eight judges down and one missing. It's like they were expecting the judges and targeted them. Oh, no. Pair fight their way into the block, finding the remains of some kind of creature when suddenly Cabell is shot in the head and the remains are hit with an incendiary round from a lawgiver. Whoa. Fire enemy enemy from within. Karen fires at the shooter in a hover pack, but they get away and backup arrives and Cabell is taken away, likely to have permanent brain damage. Karen reaches into the burning remains, pulling out a pair of handcuffs, but finds no psychometric readings on them at all. Whatever they're after can cover its tracks. It's Psy Invisible with an unknown motive. At Psy Division, Karen's going over possible leads that Judge is still missing, and some whatever's going on, it's leaving empty skins all over the city. But because of that, even though it's Psy Invisible, it is leaving a trail. And when they plot it on the map, it's literally just a straight line through the city, straight to Justice Central. Uh, Karen runs off to deal with this as Judge Engels says hello and is clearly this Skinner thing, like <laughs> clearly an evil, evil alien man. Right. Karen's writing out as we learn about the first victim and that he received a package at Recycle, he was a Recycle uh, worker. He received a package from Callahan Genentech, so Karen investigates. And speaking from the uh, Nomen in, in uh, the Dread story, this factory has kind of an Easter Island head kind of look to it as she walks into it. I think there's like a big like head in front of the smokestacks that's got an Easter. <laughs> anyway, it seems they're doing testing here with talking monkeys, although. As a terrible nerd, I've got to mention some continuity problems because um, there was a previous dread story where Fred was visited by some talking animals and because of that got animal testing outlawed in Mega City One. This shouldn't be happening in the first place, but whatever, whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> There's too much mad scientist stuff that they need animal testing for to really make animal testing long term banned in Mega City 1. If that's
1: right. Yeah, I guess they could have overtoned turned it later, you know, it's been Yeah.
0: Backwards. It was a long time and several apocalypses ago in Mega City 1, mm. so you know, the some
1: paperwork was lost.
0: Yeah, or just like again like sort of getting back on our feet means we've got to loosen some restrictions or like that, you know. Right. Anyway, he in this here lab, Karen starts asking questions and all these the people and all the uh, lab guys freak out. There's three techs and Karen kicks one in the junk while another just smushes the head of the third one, just like a. Guy with a with a with an orange making orange juice. Basically, <laughs> she sh- she shoots that guy and then goes to interrogate the lone survivor. But suddenly gets a sigh flash and sees a judge at Justice Central doing evil stuff. This knocks her out, and the surviving goon grabs her and puts a gun to her head. She's in trouble, but not that much trouble. Honestly, she's still a judge. Eli, come on. As she just sort of right uppercuts this goon and is able to size scan him and get the get the details. At the Grand Hall, the fake judge seems to be trying to get most of the judges out of the uh building and seems to have designs on the chief judge. So, you know, we're in a weird continuity period where, you know, usually you can just say, oh yeah, we're gonna go talk to the chief judge, because they're usually just in their office, but we're sort of in a weird spot now where it's not clear and if Dred's arrested or not at this point. If there are robot judges and if Magruder's on, on planet or off, um, as the stories Anyway, <laughs> in her scan, Karen learns that these scientists create an intelligent bacteria that could take over the bodies of its victims and eventually uh, learn to re- or, uh, and eventually re- read and learn from their minds, from the minds of their victims. They built the bacteria to be the ultimate assassin, but then it died. Or so they thought, but it was like fake, faked its own death and now it's escaped and will kill everyone in Mega City 1 and then the world. Karen asks who the target is, but the man just says the target's all of us. And when he gets too close to the cage of the talking monkey, the primate snaps his neck. Aw, for those drugged bananas, it's revenge. Karen's worried, and then the TV turns on and a news channel blares. The judges have been taken over by an alien shape-shifting invader. Trust no one. Ah, this is bad times indeed. <laughs> Next time on Karen, Halls of Terror. It's fun.
1: It's it's also fun having um these different stories back to back because I get to see the attempt at cliffhanger. Like when it's like, mm-hmm. I got you, now what's going to happen? And then just, that was some, that was the end of someone's day. They were like, oh, dang it, I got to wait. And then like, yeah, uppercut. Yeah, we're at, well, it's not a problem for me. I'm like, yeah oh,
0: it's, it's I mean, it's, yeah, it's why like, I do like having our breaks in in, in the middle of stories sometimes just to actually let you mm-hmm. be able to feel some of that cliffhanger stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. It's way different when you're reading these comics, You know week to week or or even month to month like in the modern magazine where Mm -hmm. you know if like when there's cliffhangers it's like whoa like that's scary or that's like a Mm -hmm. you know this looks bad like you know i'll have to wait Mm -hmm. to see what happens you know right
1: uh yeah i remember it it reminds me of how netflix is kind of uh solidified the binge model of content mm -hmm. where it's like everything just kind of rolls into another one really quickly uh uh, yeah, it makes yeah.
0: those it, it it definitely makes those cliffhangers have or the need to have those cliffhangers way less. Mm-hmm, I feel like right. sometimes sometimes Netflix shows actually are like an anti-cliffhanger. They just kind of like mm-hmm. lend from one to the next sort <laughs> yeah. of
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them I'm like, this I think this is supposed to be a movie. I don't think they actually yeah. timed it to like end here. They were like, scene change, yeah uh, roll credits. All right, back to it. We're back. It reminds
0: in. me of a point in my life when um, sometimes I'd watch, like I'd watch these like uh, real world marathons on MTV, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes and they do like a, like a six or eight hour block of that show. And they mm-hmm. wouldn't have like end credits or mm-hmm. like start of new episode things or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh-huh. And I do it while I was like painting my Warhammer guys or something just to kind of have uh-huh. background noise or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, I just I'd look up and it'd be like four hours later just because <laughs> like not having not having those like milestones of like you know here's the show ending here's the show starting that kind of thing, just blended right, right. into blended in together when I was focused on something right. else it's just life now, yeah, this is oh, just a no. state of being, yeah, no good,
1: uh, but now also aside from that really liking yeah, the story there' being a uh, there' being um I like the contrast. I like the art style, but I also yeah. like how the story's kind of building on some things. I It's almost like I just see tropes now. Like, every time anything mm. happens, it's not like, oh, interesting. It's like, okay, here's this trope. We're going to use this one for this this uh, <laughs> story. And yeah. I'm like, okay, what are you going to do with that trope, uh, writer? Oh, well, what I'm going to do is go flip it this way. And I'm oh, interesting. Yeah, I think uh,
0: if, if, if that helps you organize things, that's a fine way to look at stuff. You know, I think it's, yeah. you know, that can go too far. I think where you kind of get into like, you know, oh, I've identified these three tropes and that's how, it, mm-hmm. this is how it'll work, you know, sort of. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially yeah. when you're and, looking for it to be subverted as opposed.
1: To. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a slippery slope. You got to watch, you got to watch where you're going with it. But, uh, now I've been finding it, um, interesting because it hasn't been – there's been some stories that have disappointed me. Like they do the trope and then they don't do anything or they just do something stupid. uh, But a lot of them are like, hey, here's this thing. Hey, here's a robot uprising. I'm like, okay, I I see what's going on here. And and this is how we're going to resolve it. I'm like, okay, cool. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah, uh, so it's almost. I'm getting a little too meta, maybe. maybe you know, too far in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll pull you back from the brink a little bit for sure. But Thank you know, you. I mean, in the end, like you know, they've they they got to tell these stories. and They got like six pages to do it. Like you got to kind of mm-hmm. lean on on tropes a fair amount, mm-hmm. just to kind of as the nature of the beast, I guess. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I also i I really agree with you with the contrast. I think this story looks really unique, just with all of mm-hmm. these like you know. Big, thick lines and just a lot of black, you know, like there's no like medium grays or light, light mm-hmm. colors. It's just black and white and just very, all mm-hmm. lines are very sharp and very like distinct between those, those and stuff mm-hmm. like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I give them a lot of extra credit for being still keeping legibility. They take some, you know, creative freedoms, but it's um uh, still pretty, you know, some panels will lose me. Some panels I'm like, like there was a guy where someone was pointing a gun at a judge. And I was like, wait, what is, all right. I see a guy's yeah. head and they're holding a thing. And then they're at some, but most of it's like, okay, yeah, I see. I see what's going yeah, on
0: here. It's stylized, but you can figure it out. I think. That's right. Enough, I think. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Yeah. So that takes us to story three missionary man. Uh, skipper by Gordon Rennie, art robot, Gary Marshall and Sean Longcroft, letting robot, Steve Potter. Last time we followed Preacher Kane, the missionary man and his deputy, Resurrection Jones, to the haunted town of Rainbow's Edge. Or Rainbow's End, I should say. Now we're learning why it's haunted in the first place from the freaked out mayor of the town. It seems they started having some problems in the town, you know, dead cattle, failed crops, etc. And that you usually do this kind of situation, they decide to blame an outsider, in this case, a weird mm-hmm. mutant lady. So the town's fathers decided to, I guess, do what comes natural—just put on some goddamn KKK hoods and burn her house down, then murder her. Like, yeah, you know, frontier like, you justice, know. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Not where I'd go, but I'm <laughs> also not 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 a small town mayor slash sheriff,
1: I guess. You're very open-minded, Conrad, and that's what I appreciate about you. Like, hey, that's not how I'd go about it, but hey, you guys do whatever sparks joy.
0: Nah, I, actually, I'm going to push back on you and say that while I'm trying to be polite, I don't think this is a good a, a good <laughs> mode of action for the record. You know,
1: people are taking notes. Right. Don't recommend.
0: I want I want to be clear that if your plan involves involves putting on a KKK hood, then <laughs>
1: you're probably you're, already I'm messing not it in,
0: up. I'm not into your plan. That's not cool. You know right i just want to make that very clear (laughs) right (laughs) um so bad times and worse times is all the problems of the town got worse and now and now those problems also include those involved in the attack being gruesomely murdered we see the town priest drowned in a bloody holy water font his hands nailed to the side of it which is kind of cool actually if you're Mm -hmm. doing priest killing i guess um (laughs) the mayor asks kane to help him but kane just says that a man reaps what he sows, and put a puts a pistol and some bullets on the table and walks off like you know how to fix this buddy Trigger warning indeed, Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs>
0: he heads out to deal with some bidness, telling the mayor he expects they won't meet again. <laughs> Outside the town hall, Kane tells Joe to get a lantern and some shovels, and they go to the mutant woman's house and dig up her mutilated body, then carry her to the town cemetery where a crowd of townsfolk is waiting for him. Kane wants to give the woman a Christian burial, the town folks think she's a murderer and a witch and not fit for such a thing. Resurrection Joe hits the leader of these town folks with a shovel and (laughs) shames them for their actions, not just scapegoating the woman, but standing by and letting her be killed. Preacher Kane says her vengeance ends tonight, but his is just beginning and that you got till sunup to get out of town. Once the once the burying is done, Kane and Joe head down to the town and pour gasoline all over the place, throw some Molotov cocktails do that thing where you like throw your cigar into the gas and it all lights up and Mm -hmm. does all that kind of stuff, generally destroying the town. Mm -hmm. This woman was probably like a latent psych or something like that, like some inbuilt psych abilities that, you know, when she died violently were brought to the fore but in the end, she's just a victim of the evil that men do. Preacher Kane got some revenge for her. oh yeah. How sweet.
1: That's that's a nice bite-sized story. It actually reminds me a lot of um have you seen Castlevania, the uh, Netflix uh show? hmm It's pretty good. It's um they have uh the reason Dracula decides war on humanity is because they burned his uh, wife at the stake for being a witch when she was just trying to make medicine. And they were like, oh, clearly, uh, ah, clearly. Okay. But he did that thing. He showed up as a giant flaming head and was like, you guys just killed my wife. You have one year to get your shit together or else I'm killing all of you. Uh, nice. Uh, they messed up, though, because it was uh, a year from that day. They celebrated. Hey, look, we're all still here. That Dracula said he's going to kill us all. Oh. But look at us now. And then it was the yeah, next then he day. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was like on the day they just were stupid. They were like, "He said we'd be dead in a year. Look at us now." And then he just showed up, like, "Yeah, this is the day. What you guys are celebrating? I got to kill you guys extra hard now." Yeah, uh, that's amazing. <laughs>
0: appreciate the punctuality of of, of Dragon. Right,
1: <laughs> exactly. If he's if a nothing noble else, else,
0: You know, he's he's, he's, he's honorable. Yeah, so he's he's got the punctuality for sure. <laughs> so. Next uh, missionary man story uh, Sean Longcroft takes over on art as a storm blows in over the cursed earth and Kane and Joe arrive at a small homestead on the wastes where a mother's tucking her kids in for into bed at night. One kid's got a giant Ernie, uh, right, a, I again, say, which I appreciate.
1: I was like, is Conrad going to not mention the stuff that he's got to? Okay, got it.
0: Come on, you got that big <laughs> Ernie, big urn, <Ernie>. moving <laughs> it up. The pair arrive on her doorstep as she gets her rifle. But when she sees it's Kane, it's it's Resurrection Joe with uh, preacher Kane and kane has been shot a couple times. She lets them in. Apparently, they were bushwhacked by some bandits. They're going after, and now they're on the run because the bushwhackers are on their tail. As we see four riders coming out of the lightning, the woman isn't phased though, and tell her kids to get up st- to hide upstairs as she readies her gun again joe explains that they're up against halloween jack and the trick-or-treat gang as upstairs the kids think they're safe but then a goddamn dude with a big knife and a jack-o'-lantern for a head appears in their window oh no (laughs) joe and the woman burst in as the kids scream but we see one of the kids being held hostage and two more come bursting in they shoot uh resurrection joe once and look like they're going to finish the job on Preacher Kane, but he's gone missing. They see a trail of blood leading away. Note that the lawman didn't take his gun belt, so Jack sends his goons to finish off Cain, and he'll stay behind to do oh, weird things to Joe and the family. <laughs> or so he thinks. Right. The goons go to look for Cain as back in the house, Joe seems very assured of what's going on. He's, after all, he says, now the gang isn't hunting the missionary man. The missionary man's hunting them. Whoa. <laughs> we see the preacher, bullet wounds and all, take out one of the gang members hiding in the shadows and just kind of Batmanning them as he goes. I always, just go, always think of this Batmaning. Right. Batmanning, generally. You well, know you... Definitely, um, definitely. You know, from the shadows, pick off a bunch of goons one by one. You know, it's when... When those all those Arkham games are at their best, is when you're doing that, you know.
1: Right, and then the you, there's two of them there, and then they say say something to the guy behind him, and then he's not there anymore. They look back, and oh no! And then then somehow Batman's on the other side of the room in the shadow. Oh yeah, yeah
0: it's- absolutely. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of uh, he's only one man, or he's right. only <laughs> human, isn't he? Kind of kind of shouts, right. you know. <laughs> right. Combined with oh, I guess it was just a wind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So he takes out another of the goon and the final one, he pins to the wall with a pitchfork. It's one of those, one of those U shaped pitchfork that just kind of goes right around his neck right. like that.
1: Yeah. Made good for, yeah, doing exactly that.
0: And then tells him to bring a message to his boss and sets him on fire. And I guess, sorry, I didn't really mark out what kind of weird mutants these Raiders are, but this guy's, oh, yeah, a, scarec- yeah. this guy's a Scarecrow guy just for the record. Um, right. And so when Cain sets him on fire, all the straw and stuff in him, I guess, mm. burns first. And by the time he gets back to the house, he's just a bunch of bones mm-hmm. coming in right. and being scary, basically, which is pretty good. Yeah,
1: yeah. we, we got jack-o'-lantern guy, we got scarecrow guy, we got a guy with a smaller head on his neck, and uh, I don't it's know, the other of a- guy just seemed like he was tall.
0: Yeah, like the, yeah, the last one they call it like tombstone. So it's, you know, he's like he's not made of rock, but he is sort of got some rock type elements, I guess you'd right. say.
1: Yeah, because when he was dead, it looked like he has cracks on his face, so maybe he like
0: he uh, rock type.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I don't I guess you can still choke out rock, right? You can't stab him, but Kane just like got him with the neck stuff yeah. him. You still need air apparently when you're a rock.
0: Something. He's, he's got it worked out, I think. It's fine. Right. <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, God, where am I at? Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, Kane pops in to get the drop on Jack, but Jack O'Lantern sees him and shoots the preacher. How many bullets does it take to kill him? He won't find out though, because the woman has grabbed her own rifle and just blows the pumpkin-headed raider's head clean off and a big mass of that Gross pumpkin stuff that you gotta like scoop right. out to make a jack o' lantern. You know what I'm mm, talking about, right? Right. The worst part of it, yeah. Yeah. You can put those brains on like a baking sheet to make, mm. um, you know, dry it out and get like roast pumpkin seeds. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah.
1: It's solid. Good fun for the whole family.
0: <laughs> yeah. The next day, the paralaw men prepare to to ride off though the preacher warns the woman that the weight of killing marks you forever. And he should know because he's killed a lot of bros. <laughs> he tips his hat and they ride off into the sunset. The end for now, the missionary man will be back in like two or three episodes. So not too long. Are we going to be far away from this frontier face punching? <laughs> what do you think of a uh, missionary man this time, Eli?
1: Uh, the cartoony nature of it took me out of it a little bit. They got mm. jack lanterns and scarecrow people.
0: And, and I
1: think I got shot in the heart and he was just like, ah, yes. you think that's going to take, he's all definitely right.
0: taken a lot of, a lot of bullets to the chest in this one story for sure.
1: Right. But I guess I like the, in the end part, like, Hey, taking a life marks you watch out. Cause I'd be killing people all the time, but it's, um, it was just hard having the stakes. Like the last story being like, this vengeance plot missionary man killing a bunch of people i mean mm-hmm. that's fine i guess i'm wondering based on how the last one was framed if missionary man has other abilities and powers that yeah. aren't really being expressed maybe he's a vampire and we just don't know it or he's some sort of like zombie or something could like.
0: be i mean you know i mean if we're just using that he, he used to be a a judge in texas city i think and if we're just basing it on like dread that he's definitely you know just his judginess can give him some abilities and stuff. Right. And you know, I feel like it's such a funny difference between like 2000 AD in the magazine and like I don't know, superhero comics where the superhero, you know, you always assume people have these powers and stuff like that mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you're superheroing, but these ones you're you know, like baseline people are just supposed to be regular folks. I guess like you wouldn't mm-hmm. assume that they yeah. have superpowers. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who's but to say that. Yeah. Fun, but a little cartoony. Yeah, I I agree. Definitely. This was, like, especially just having the bad guys be so Halloween themed, definitely made Mm -hmm. this second story a little bit sillier, for sure. Uh But so, with all the, you know, first three stories done, let's take a quick break and talk about covers, editorials, and dreadlines. Issue 57 The most shocking dread story ever. Peter Doherty draws dread in cuffs as there's mutiny in Mega City 1. The editorial suggests that we check out Prague's 891 to 894 for details on the lead-up to this story. And, of course, they tease the start of the next Dread epic. And then after Dread, there's an editorial explaining the upcoming Dread um, mega-epic Wilderlands. It's going to be another crossover, which is the hot thing in U.S. comics, of course. Which is the hot thing in u.s comics of course you know all nothing but big crossover events in u.s comics in 1994 i remember it um (laughs) there were complaints in the previous one for judgment day about forcing folks to buy both 2000 ad and the magazine during that crossover if you recall when we did that one with all those zombies and stuff like that This time, they're making an effort to have the story be understandable if you're only reading one comic or another. So if you just read the magazine or just read 2000 AD, you should, in theory, be able to understand what's going on. And that's definitely something we should keep an eye out for when we we do our look at it. Keep in mind that, like, in theory... These should be understandable, right? You should be able to hop in, yeah. If you're just looking at one or the other, um, we'll see how it goes, of course. And then, then there's a breakdown as well for the reading order for the countdown to Wilderlands and the first few chapters. Very exciting. Later, there's an an Inquisition um, column that's sort of answering Dread questions. Um, in this case, it's at, mostly asking questions about Dread's status as as a clone. And we do also learn the Extremely 1994 news, which is um, what the uh, 2000 AD magazine's uh, fax number is. So If you want to send them a fax, you can use the number they list there. And I think they'll actually be be telling us the email address as well in a couple issues also. You know, just because, like, it's 1994 and these modes of communication are brand new at this point. Exactly. Everyone's doing it. Yeah. In Dreadline... I mean, they'll be here until this point, at least. I, oh, I don't know. Maybe not. I guess you could fax someone at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's it, weird. I think it's possible. But I think they only yeah. like a bank does it or something like right. that.
1: I yeah, I, I saw um, there was an um, uh, optometrist that also
0: mm. does does faxing. And we were like, why? But whatever. <laughs> I guess like, you know, maybe if you got like a system put in. In the '90s, when it seemed like fax was going to be here forever, so you got a fax-based system. You know, you mm. got to just keep using it because you know you can't get a loan to get a new <laughs> more a new more modern system until this one's used up or something like that. Right. Um, in dreadlines, a letter complains about the ill treatment of alien murder monsters recently. Like, ah, stop doing that. Uh, there's compliments for Frank Whiteley. They say some stories recently have been really have been so great that Dread isn't needed. Um, just make it the Anderson Megas- magazine. Though apparently, also, there wasn't enough Dread in the recent Dread mega special, which we'll be talking about here on the show in an episode or two. Issue 58, Deep Space Dread. We see the lawman in profile as the Justice 4 flies through space. The editorial plugs the current stories, of course, and mentions that mega special. Supplies are running out um and um it seems also that the mega special had a bunch of like phone lines to call in and vote for your favorite story which seems like it's like a a 900 like presumably all the numbers are are uk versions of, of like 900 numbers so you know it's like uh if you like this story dial this number and register that you liked it and like you know each call costs like 50 pence a minute or something like that, you know, some scam here, I see through that. <laughs> but it seems that the story Culling Crew, which is a Dave Stones Steve Sampson drawn uh Britsit crime caper, that came in first with 38% of votes, while the Judge Karen story was dead last with like 4% of votes. Oh no. <laughs> the Inquisition asks about Dread's face and how come the helmet stays on and the basic answer is that like, listen, who knows in 122 years what advances in helmet technology will have. Maybe like vacuum <laughs> seals onto them or something.
1: Yeah. Just right onto the skull almost. Just. Yeah.
0: And then they, they talk with the usual stuff with Dred's face. You know, we you we learned vi- we learned very early on, like in issue six of two thousand AD or something, that actually Dread's face is hor- is so horribly scarred that if you saw it, you'd get sick from it. Basically, like right, a bunch of a bunch of hardened street toughs saw Dred's face, and their response was, "Oh God, he's so ugly! Just kill him and put him out of his misery." You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then also, we have seen Dred without his helmet a couple times, like several times. He's had like plastic surgery or something done, so he's had like a false face that he's used mm. to go undercover, basically, right. And then there was the dead man story, which was yeah. based, which was when Dredd, you know, had all his skin burnt off by lava. And we saw his face all the time there, you know, just, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we saw the part of his body where his face would be, but yeah. <laughs> honestly, the face is actually a pretty, like, the skin of the face is an important part of the face, actually, in terms of identifying yeah. people and stuff like that. That's a good point. Yeah. That's what I always, that's what I always tell people, you know, right. <laughs> your right. skin. I don't like see it. I like seeing the skin on your face. That's what I
1: was Right. To. Exactly. When you're like, Hey, nice to see you. Like caveat with the skin on your face. I you would know,
0: not like, yeah, Eli, I can say emphatically, I would not like to see your face without any skin on it. All right. right. That's, that's how that's much fair. I care about you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Dreadline seems to alternate between praise and dislike for Mick McMahon's Howler story that we saw recently. Most of the letters are generally pretty positive, and I appreciate one of them having basically some capsule reviews of all the Dread novels to this point. Goddamn Dread novels. They haunt me. <laughs> issue 59, twice the size. Ooh, it's a pun, although it's a normal-sized issue. And... Also, this cover is kind of lazy because it's just kind of a close-up of an eye, like sort of colored red and black, basically. Like this was, yeah. this is as much work as the work I do to make the covers for the podcast, which is not a lot of work generally. Um, <laughs> The editorial also plugs the stories and mentions that there's 10 new Dread novels to be won. And I appreciate the verbiage on the cover where it said that uh, 12 new Dread novels must be won. There's no other option. Someone's going to win them. Mid-issue, there's an excerpt from that Dread novel. It's called The Hundredfold Problem. And it seems like it's a very weird story where there's a sexy Amazon lady and Dread's been split into 100 different bodies that each are like, one percent of dread, and like the excerpt seems to be from the middle, like from towards the end of the story, where there's a 97% dread hunting down or a, a 93% dread hunting down a seven percent dread. And it's it's weird. I don't know. Like I don't get it, I guess. The Inquisition asks the hard questions. This one about the one-off character of Vienna Dread, Judge Dread's niece, presumably the daughter of his brother Rico who's, like, evil oh, right, right. and stuff like that. I remember that. So she was last seen in 1979. But later that year, we would meet... Re- or No, sorry. A few years ago, we had met Rico, and Rico had been in jail for, like, 20 years. So the question is, how can Rico be in jail for, like, 20 right. years but have, like, a daughter that's, like, a kid? Like, right. Like, you know, the... I assume she was six and these letter writers seem to posit anywhere from three to eight or something like that but Mm -hmm. like clearly born after Rico went to prison. That's the part that's obvious. So Mm -hmm. how, how is this possible? How did this happen?
1: There are several theories that I came up with, but you know, that's, that's fine. We'll, we'll have to,
0: I mean, and it's a sci-fi, you know, omni sci-fi setting. So there's all kinds of weird answers as well. Like she got frozen. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. I was thinking cryosleep or, um
0: she's taking anti-aging drugs. Those, those exist maybe she mm-hmm. took a, a faster than light trip for a brief period of time mm-hmm. or something right.
1: she's from the actual future but was sent back in
0: time to Ooh. this time and that's, that's definitely so that's definitely possible mm-hmm. my, w- one of my favorite dread stories is that um dread one shot a guy and they put him in cryostasis until a cure for getting shot a bunch of times was found yeah. <laughs> But then that guy went back in time to try to shoot Dredd again, but mm-hmm. Dredd shot that guy, the mm-hmm. one from the future. And now that guy's also in cryostasis, mm-hmm. like until the cure for like even more gut bullet wounds is, is found. So like in like the vaults, in, in like the the, the the frozen vaults of like some mega city prison, there's like the same guy twice basically on two different mm-hmm. uh, timelines. Right.
1: And from his perspective, he got a gun, try to shoot Dredd, got shot. About a week passed, he got healed. He went back, shoot him again, and now he's so yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think he might have spent some time in, like in, in the cubes as well, because he was older when he went back or something, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry for these asides. <laughs> um uh missionary man writer Gordon Reddy posits that he that she's actually Dred's daughter. And it was covered up by the Justice Department. But I'm not a fan of this story, honestly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They they're better at covering it up than that.
0: And I just really don't like um I don't like things that like where you're like, oh, actually Dread does break the law. Like I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of that. I right. like not buying it. Well, yeah, I just like that dread's totally incorruptible. Like that's very much like a key part of the character for me. Right. And the, the yeah. idea that he was hiding any kind of law breaking. For me, just it makes me fe- it, it 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 makes you feel less like oh like he's human after all, and more like hey, this is a lie. Like what do you <laughs> what's he must be telling a lie to hide something else or something like that. You know that mm. kind of thing. right. Anyway, the, I I I believe the answers to these questions, wi- or yeah, these questions will be answered, but I don't know because. The character doesn't return until the year 2002, which is outside of the comics that I've read for this project. So we'll all find out together, I
1: guess.
0: (laughs) In the letters pages, things are mostly complimentary, though. There is some split about some of the more out there uh, Judge Anderson artists like uh, Tony Luke and Steve Sampson, as well as uh, Mick McMahon. While another yeah, and then another one suggests they just rename the magazine uh, to Anderson the magazine because she's having so, having some good uh, stories. And speaking of female protagonists, Elias, we get to the lady-filled back half of this of this episode. <laughs> let's get started with story four: Harmony. <laughs> Script robot Chris Stanley, art robot Trevor Harrison, writing robot Ellie Deville. Uranium City, Dread World, Alaska a shuttle has crashed and some military dudes are checking it out and they have one of those uh, aliens motion detector kind of things, you know, mm-hmm. it like beeps faster. It's like, Oh, it's here. That kind of thing. But <laughs> and su- when suddenly a creature with claws is upon them, we just see the claws at this point as one swipe uh, decapitates a dude with a huck sound. H-U-K. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, at a very nice and isolated nudist colony outpost, our friends Harmony and Zeke are living the good life and eating their tasty food as the soldiers try to fight this beast. It's got big claws and a, a gaping maw, killing dudes left and right. Meanwhile, Zeke goes skulking around the outpost, trying to find something to steal, but instead finds a freezer with disturbing contents and a mysterious hand pushes him in. One last soldier remains and he thinks he's safe, but of course no dice. And we finally see the creature for real. It's got this big, like it's got kind of a beak, but like teeth in the beak, if that makes sense. And, mm. um, big arms, you know, big buff arms with clawed fingers. And then a bunch of like uh crab or like spider legs coming off, yeah. the, off
1: his back. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of how I read it too. Spider legs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, real t- real scary looking murder beast here. Appreciate the murder monsters. One of the nudists is showing harmony around. We see their psychedelics garden. Oh yeah. And but when she sees a cold storage um locker and opens it up, and inside finds Zeke freezing along with a bunch of human corpses on meat hooks. Oh no. Ah, <laughs> uh, these nudists are cannibals. We gotta get out of here. Our new friends. You yeah. You know what you want on your nudist colony. Our new friends, they're cannibals. The nudists fire hand crossbows at the pair, but they manage to get the door open and escape to their hover sleds. But these nudists aren't deterred. They put coats on and come after them on ski bikes mm. or jet ski stuff. And this leads to some pretty fun, like car chase gunfight stuff, basically. We see Harmony blowing baddies away. And it's I I, I really like a good um like gunfight where everybody's driving like motorcycles or jet skis or something. Something where they're going fast, but like in the open, so when you get shot, you go flying backwards off oh, the vehicle yeah. and stuff. Or like the uh, like the speeder chase in uh, Return of the Jedi, for instance. That mm. kind of stuff. Yeah, big fan of <laughs> it. Um. Anyway, they prevail, but Zeke takes a crossbow bolt to the shoulder. Not that bad, though. And hopefully, it'll be. Smooth sailing from here, you know, not counting the murder vulture crab that's currently waiting for them, I guess. At camp, Harmony pulls the arrow out for Zeke and uh, says her past is behind her, seemingly unaware that her old uh, pal Havoc has been Frankenstein back together and is on her trail at the hands of a evil corporation. And we flashback briefly to see that Frankensteining process. Time for surgeries for this Havoc guy. I'm an evil murder pursuer guy. (laughs) The next day, Zeke is prepping the sled when he's menaced by a snow jaguar. But Harmony just kind of casually pops out of their tent and shoots it. It's like, ah, give some of the meat to our sled dogs and cook the rest. We got to get going. Right. Elsewhere, Havoc is meeting the nudists who give them the information and follow Harmony. And in the past, we see him agreeing to take Harmony out after he's been rebuilt. He doesn't even need a bribe. It would be his pleasure. Harmony and Zeke arrive at the crash site and find it a horror of death and wreckage. No, they, they thought that the vehicle might have had diamonds in it, but no dice, just death. <laughs> Harmony checks the ship's records and learns that it was carrying a Genotech battle hybrid. And that's bad news. They got to get out of there. As they run, Harmony explains that these hybrids were used to rid planets of indigenous populations, being perfect murder machines. But this new model even better. It's virtually unkillable and has chameleonic abilities. As they get to their hover sled, though, Havoc shows up and blasts the pair with a sonic weapon, incapacitating Harmony and Zeke. Havoc draws down on Harmony and tosses some handcuffs to her, telling her to put them on. Harmony tries to convince him of the danger of the situation, but Havoc is skeptical of being afraid of some animal, not seeing the giant monster leaping right at him from behind. <laughs> Next time, wreaking havoc or wrecking havoc could be. This guy looks like he's gonna get wrecked. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: Right, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that one. It was uh, I, I, well, I, you know, it's always tough when you're new. They try to kill you and they, you know, they just get on a bunch of clothes and get on their hover bikes and you're like, mm-hmm. come on, yeah, what, well, guys, you should just be trying to strangle me naked. That's, that's your thing. You're just or at least they should have all that out.
0: Yeah. Or at least they should have vehicles that allow them to be naked as they drive them around. Exactly.
1: Even they even get faster, the more naked you are, you know, or whatever. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Skin I the,
0: contact, I guess.
1: Right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, all right, it's fine. I would just love to not have one nudist colony that isn't a murder, like, you know, cannibalistic murder cult, you know, that it's true.
0: I've definitely, I, I know me. I've definitely seen several uh, nudist colonies in the pages of 2008 in the magazine that have been specifically cannibalistic based. I mean, mm. one at least in one of them, they didn't know that they were going to be used for meat. It was like, mm. <laughs> There were like a bunch of trap doors, basically, that were just sort of dropping <laughs> people in to be processed. Right, but no, uh,
1: cool fights, cool speed. I, I do like all the action, Uh and yeah, now I want to see what they're going to do about this giant uh murder monster. That's yeah, be, uh...
0: yeah, I'm okay with Harmony. I think that it's got a, vi- it's very kind of lightweight action story. You know, like there's not a lot. You don't really got to think about it too much. You know, yeah. Just here's a car chase. Let's get fighting. Here's mm-hmm. some, like, oh, nudists are funny. Oh, now it's a fight. You know that kind of stuff,
1: <laughs> right? I am sad that uh, they Frankenstein one of the uh, you know uh, big bads. I'm hoping they you know turn him back or whatever. Yeah, whatever. We'll see what. Well, I'm okay. We'll I'm comes. yeah.
0: I just hope that they don't that he doesn't get killed right away by the monster. Honestly, just because mm. they've done a lot to kind of build up his backstory and things like that. Right. That it just
1: yeah, his. His, uh narrative potential has grown too great that yeah i mean out, comes not to out, come off rude almost
0: yeah not to keep talking about tropes and meta narratives and stuff like that but they've invested a lot in sort of what this guy's backstory is if they just kill him right here you know it's like mm. the, uh there's all this wind up for potentially mm. very little pitch which is not not the yeah. best option
1: what is it there's only been one piece of media that i've seen that has killed a character like that and it actually worked it was um jujitsu kaisen they had this character that totally came out like oh i'm the nice guy oh no troubled past now i'm evil now and he's clearly like and now we fight and then you join our side at the end and then we're good but then they just
0: killed him like right mm-hmm. the, he's dead and they're like,
1: yeah and then and we move on well and, i feel uh... like
0: in similar in similar anime or uh or, or a manga type thing is um when i read fire punch i feel like there were a couple mm-hmm. characters where mm-hmm. like where, like, some of these characters, they seem very intriguing. It looks like they might have right. their own backstories or things that we can mm. learn about, like, why they're doing the things that they're doing, what their deal is. Right? right. Nah, nah, they just kind of died. I'm like, all right, right. I guess it's, we it's, won't find out, you know?
1: And I think there's two ways you can do it. Because I think you can do it, like, what I like is when you have that feeling of lost potential. Once a character dies... Mm-hmm. and you're like oh no a life cut short that i was curious about i wanted to know <laughs> what was going on with that person
0: yeah
1: i feel like that can sometimes be intentionally done well but then there's sometimes where they're like yeah we don't really care ki- like kill him yeah we we just got stuff to do it's not actually important uh so right. yeah I, I guess it depends I've, on how i i've it's
0: i've overloaded this crew of cha- with characters and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. Only, I can only I, I only have so many chapters to tell the tale, you know. So right. I gotta gotta just drop some dro- drop some cargo out the side of this plane, basically. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and speaking of a uh, desperate um, desperate flights, places Eli, or just sort of flying around the, the universe. Movie. I guess not. Ooh. Not my best one. It's story five, Anderson side vision. Gift Robot Alan Grant, Art Robots, Tony Luke, Charles Gillespie, and Steve Sampson, Len Robot, Annie Parkhouse. We're continuing Anderson's postcards from the Edge series with a couple of the more controversial artists from this series, I'll mention. Um, <laughs> starting with art by Tony Luke, who's going full mixed media here. There's a whole but like this story has a lot of photographs appearing alongside um, dr- like both. Images of Anderson, which I think are pretty clearly sort of photographs that have had some extra art drawn on to them to sort of judge them up, basically. And then drawn from a drawn from scratch alien and stuff. It's I, I don't thought it was made out of clay. But could, yeah, maybe, yeah. It is. <laughs> I guess it could be a fo- be photos of a of, of a statue of an alien in various poses. But it's one way or another, stuff. it's it's definitely different than what we're normally seeing in, in the pages mm-hmm. here for sure. I think it's inventive. I don't know if it looks great, though, honestly. Effort's been made, but I feel like the outcomes are are hit and miss. (laughs) On the planet Tartini 9, Anderson is sightseeing and passes a blue alien with her blue alien baby begging for money. Anderson gives her some when the other tourists snub the alien, and they all climb up the stairs to a viewing station where they put on safety harnesses, and listen to a giant statue of a devil play a hell violin. It's actually apparently the reaction of the system's dying star and the crystalline rock that the devil statue is carved out of, but it creates a song both terrifying and hideous, but also mysteriously beautiful. (laughs) Anderson sees images of ugliness and evil, including a big full page with like a bunch of skulls and judge death and Satan and like sort of that statue of ball and things like that. Only the harnesses keeps her and the other tourists from throwing herself off the side of the cliff. And on the way back, um, she goes to the beggar alien again and scans the mind of the alien child. And it's just full of the devil. You know, constantly hearing the sounds of this um, performance has destroyed the the kid's brain. Anderson's able to fix it, but the blue folks have to leave. These guys have to leave this. Like, this kid's got to get out of here for because if they don't, then it'll happen again and be worse. But they're poor. And, of course, you know, begging out in front of where the tourists show up here is the, is the prime spot to get money, basically. They can't leave, so instead, Anderson gives them all of her money and possessions, including a first-class ticket off world. The aliens walk off, and Anderson's just stuck here, I guess. But hey, if she's traveling to find herself, maybe being unpredictable and getting stuck in some weird planet with the big devil statues—the best way to do that.
1: Yeah, such weird feelings about my desire that blue alien baby again, because I mm. partly doesn't want to ever see it again. <laughs> He's like, I want to see what happens to that weird blue alien baby.
0: Yeah, uh, I can go with the follow-up for sure. Someday, maybe. Right. I'll 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 keep maybe, an
1: eye out, certainly. Maybe a different art style.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I feel like we, yeah, because we definitely see the difference as we switch to our next story here. Uh, Charles Gillespie takes over on art and things are a little bit more conventionally drawn, I guess. Uh and Gillespie, I should say, previously did the uh the Pro Wrestling Planet story. Um, that we talked about in, in this series so stuck on the planet tartini anderson is sitting under a tree contemplating the universe she remembers the story of a gautama buddha doing the same as the sun rises and a crowd of blue aliens assembles around her gautama sat under the tree for six months anderson makes it about half an hour before she pets a passing dragon and it bites her an alien doctor offers to treat her wounds, and it seems word has gotten around about her helping the kid. And now we notice there's a plaque on the tree that she's sitting at uh, to commemorate the death of the second last witch. The doctor tells the tale of ancient Tartini, lush and green, and not the red barren wasteland that it is now. Sorry, barren red wasteland. It's got nothing to do with World War One fighter jet or fighter plane. Um, but it was ruled by the great mother. And Anderson reflects on the universality of great mothers. And she notices that golden ages are always in the past. and That makes her remember mm-hmm. all of her dead friends and stuff. You know, that's the, for me, that's the best, that's the most important line of that show, The Office, Eli, which is um, like, it's important to try to recognize the good old days while you're in them. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's an interesting thing to remember. Um, The world of Tartini was cursed. It's people now ghosts of themselves. And Anderson relates to that as well. Just her feeling like she's become a ghost after the losses she's experienced. Um, It seems the statue of the fiddling devil was once an image of the the universal mother. But when men came to power and kings and priests overtook queens and priestesses, it changed to the devil it is now. I don't know if I buy it, but fair enough, I guess. Mm. It seems the male rulers blamed this on the remaining powerful women who they called witches, so they hunted them down, burning them at the stake and so forth. The second-to-last one was burned only 100 years ago, and her name was Cassandra. That's Anderson's name. Dun-dun. With her wound treated, the doctor walks off, but Anderson wonders what became of the last witch if they burn the second to last one? And <laughs> the doctor's like, nothing. She's still out there, you know? Freak out. Right. Steve Sampson is on art for the final installment this episode. And it's interesting because Sampson's another one of these artists who I feel like really often for people works off of um, fashion photos. models and photos and stuff. Oh, yeah, But this yeah, is yeah. a very... And while there's definitely some of that, there's also a lot of non-human like character or, you know, things in this mm. one that we kind of see his actual art style, which is, you know, medium, mm. I guess, or sort of, yes, I, I think he's, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think he's definitely making at least some moves that are sort of to, to work within his, in his limitations, I guess.
1: Yes. I will say, yeah, it feels like an improvement that from the first thing I ever saw him in, which was
0: yeah, very waves, Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, but yeah. Oh, yeah, we can get into that <laughs> We can
0: talk about it in a moment, yeah. Um, so Anderson wonders what Dred would think of all this as we see that she is in fact following an eagle deep into the scorching desert of Tartiti without a lot of advanced planning. <laughs> mm-hmm. She can see Dred's judging face and voice, calling her a coward, a perp, and a failure. Hating him keeps her going through the scorching desert without any water or supplies. When suddenly she's attacked by lizard dudes. Uh, luckily, she remembers her training, bashing the teeth, out, bashing teeth and kicking groins of her assailants. But in the end, she seems to be overwhelmed. Until a pack of black wolves arrives and attacks the lizard men. They kill these reptile dudes and surround Anderson, who is nervous, of course. Staring down the red eyes and bloody teeth of the wolf pack, Anderson is sad. Like what a waste of a life. Then she starts to laugh, remembering the old line, dying's no big thing. And I couldn't find this exact line, but I think it might be like, uh, dying isn't hard, living is, you know? Mm, that's um, from
1: Twilight, I think.
0: Yeah, something. No. <laughs> I don't think so, actually. I don't know if there's a lot of cool yeah. from Twilight, I admit. I, right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that makes her laugh and... As she laughs at the wolves, she then uh, howls at it as well, I just at the absurdity of it all. Started a group howl. Yeah, the wolf seems into this and licks her chin, so good times. And then suddenly, a lady with black hair and a big boob tattoo in her underwear and a big fur cloak arrives and leads Anderson someplace. I'll mention this story was called like The Woman Who Walks With Wolves. That's sort of the subheading title of this story. But anyway, next time on Anderson, if all the worlds, dot, dot, dot.
1: It's funny how interested I am in this one. Like, uh, I think it's, well, I'm a big fan of just, uh, making a big black thing. Like these wolves, how they're drawn mm-hmm. is like, you just draw it, then you fill it with black and then you don't need to do any of the details. It's perfect. Yeah, you
0: put some, put some red eyes on there. Bob's your uncle. Right. You're, you're right. good to go.
1: <laughs> so I, I give extra credit for create, you know, it's still it was lacking in some regards, Everything is either, you know, straight on or at like a perspective so that you don't need to draw too much stuff. But um, I'm like, oh, some wolf lady shows up in the desert. Oh, okay, Not enough that I dislike it. (laughs) Just (laughs) let's see what you do with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, fine. I mean, yeah.
1: Uh, I was going to say this artist using um, just kind of very large negative space in order to break up the composition rather than having to draw like the buildings and skyscrapers and vehicles. I'm giving a lot of like extra credit, like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Just a horizon line, sun, ground. All right, here's this person I drew. And it's, yeah, I mean,
0: I'll say generally that like, what I appreciate about this series is just that they've sort of, They've taken, they have taken some risks with these, with these artists. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing some, some backlash and discussion of it in letters pages of people being like, I don't know about the, about these writers and stuff or about about these artists and this Anderson sometimes. And I definitely appreciate them taking, like, you know, just, you know, trying to not just have the same kind of thing, you know, this, like, there's definitely, I think this, and I think especially, um, the Karen story, this might be moving towards sort of tops and bottoms here with Adrian Sam. Mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, they are trying to take some effort to make this comic not look the same as it always has. And have some sort of some interesting yeah. alternate art styles and stuff. And I think that's to be at the very least even, yeah. even and, if it's not always the most successful. Thing. Yeah. I
1: think that's very strong and like a good thing. Like you gotta try to branch out and give people shots. It could be because I am an artist and I'm always like, Give me a shot. and Let me get in there and try some stuff. I think it's very challenging, but very brave to do. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that. And it's also it's that thing where it's like um, contrast strengthens both parts. Like, you know, when you have these different artists and these different styles and different mediums, it mm-hmm. um, compare you subconsciously compare them and then they are all elevated because of that. Some of them are just they fall straight down into the toilet. But, you know, like some of them are like there's a balancing act that ends up happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so totally. you, you start appreciating things for their different strengths. But yeah,
0: totally. But so with that, I th- we've reached the end of our stories. And thus, Eli, I must know, what are your top bottom stories for these here magazines? Oh,
1: that's a good question there. Con man, the rad. Uh... Let's, oh, that actually worked. That wasn't too bad because it was Conrad. Yeah. yeah.
0: You're fine. Um, That's fine.
1: I think Top is a missionary man, actually. Uh, the oh, first nice. one. I liked him getting vengeance and freaking uh, burning a town down. I was like, good, good for you, man. I appreciate it. I thought it was going to be Gizmo stuff because I really like it, but they're not getting anything interesting quite yet. It's just like, and dread, give me your badge and shoot this cigar I'm like, okay. so they're still setting up, I'm gonna wait to see how that shakes out, um but yeah, uh, and then my bottom would be missionary man. I don't like the, the other story where the pumpkin guy shows up and does some stuff. I didn't um, yeah, it just uh was a little too cartoony and a little too almost almost irrelevant, it was almost like and this happened okay and then what now that's it yeah guy straw guy yeah we just <laughs> over uh some that were similar levels of relevant they at least had a bit cooler action a little bit more going on mm-hmm. um but that one was kind of just like yeah just a little too light uh just wasn't substantial i i want to get my fill if we're uh, gonna go wacky you know, yeah go wackier i say sure. um but yeah, I'd say the, it's so weird how your top and uh, missionary man for top, also missionary man for bottom. Hey, uh, keeping
0: it contained for sure.
1: All right. Yeah. Uh what were uh, your top and bottom.
0: Oh man. Um I gotta think of oh man, I I I haven't really thought about it. Terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Trying to catch you off guard.
0: That's I know, the, it comes out of nowhere. I might I might put missionary man at my bottom as as my bottom story as well. Um it was okay. Although, like, yeah, I, I agree that um, having these really on-the-nose Halloween-themed uh, bad guys is a little out of left field. Like, to the point, I, I, I had to double-check if this was an October comic. Like, is it just Halloween? Uh, that's uh, why we're doing this? But it's not. And so... Like, oh, it, no. That would have made it better. <laughs> yeah, it was very, like, well, okay, I guess. And also, man, I'm just really missing uh, Frank Quitely. Um and his art for a Missionary Man. I love his stuff so much. And so mm. to have other other guys come in right afterwards, very much like, it's not this is not the best version of this story, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I agree. Like, Dred's very much just putting ball, like, just sort of getting stuff going here. Like, we're just sort of setting, like, this story specifically is literally just setting up for an upcoming epic and stuff. So there's just, you know... It's very much just prep work as opposed to a real like uh, story on its own, almost. Like I said, I, I don't think Anderson hits as much as it want a, as it could be, just for the swings that it's taking. Yeah. I think it might put. So it's kind of down to Karen and Harmony, just by my process of elimination here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might say uh, Karen. I think might, might be my top, but it's a very. Yeah. It's a lot of like sort of like B, like B minuses to B pluses in the course of these tops. Like right. things are basically okay, but nothing's really blowing right. me away,
1: really. Uh
0: huh.
1: Right. And it also seems like nothing's dragging into the dirt either. Like, no, nothing's like B yeah, plus D minus. Like, nothing's no A's, no F's.
0: Yeah. Nothing's too bad, but nothing's sort of top of the heap either. So I might say just. Sort of Harmony again. It feels like we're very much in the early stages as well, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Whereas Karen feels more like it's about to wrap up, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think you're just a sucker for that action scene. They give you a hover bike shootout and you're like, all right.
0: It's true. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might actually make Harmony be my top just because I like. I did really like that uh jet ski hover, uh, uh, car chase. And I thought that the cannibalistic nudists. <laughs> While predictable, were also fun, and uh, I think the uh, and I and I think the uh, and I think this the 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 build of the monster that they have is kind of cool as well. I kind of like the like yeah. this toothy beak is kind of unusual, I
1: guess. Right, so, the little bottom jaw with the two prong yeah. thing. Like, what's that about? It's an yeah.
0: intriguing monster design. So i um, you know, we, we we've had a bunch of big monsters recently in the magazine you know in uh missionary man and in um and in shimura so i th- and i think oh and in dread as well And i think this might be one of my favorite ones of our recent mm-hmm. big monster antagonists anyway yeah yeah so, so missionary man bottom harmony top that's where i'm i'm shaking out dithering Gosh. and dodging and all that stuff <laughs> Anyway, hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, or Spotify, or our podcast site at bigmeg1.com. Contact us at bigmeg1 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page. And for all those, Big Meg One with one written out, you'll find us. Drop us a rating or review wherever it is you listen to us. Or suggest this, this here podcast network if someone's looking for cool podcasts. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreoncom Cradline. That's our podcast network. There, you can support the show and receive a ton of ex- of excellent rewards. Come back next time as we finish up all of our current stories and check in briefly with Brit, Sit Brute, Heavy Metal Dread, some, and we'll meet some dude named O'Rourke. I don't remember very well. It should be interesting. And until then, I'm Conrad, there you lie, and we are Big Mac One. Drop it!